Now, this is 1990, probably 96. I was not even born. How dare you? (laughs) You will go back to Hawaii and think about what you just said to me. My name's Quincy. My name's Kevin. And this is Sentimental Men. But keep your thumb away from that skip button. We're here to talk. And maybe scream. About our favorite women in musical theater. Bonjour, Kevin. Bonjour. Oh my goodness. I wasn't expecting to travel to France to talk about... To talk about Define Gravity. Well, first of all, Happy New Year, everybody. Yeah, welcome back. We hope you enjoyed intermission. You will notice that Quincy and I did not place our intermission where Stephen and Winnie chose to place their intermission. (laughs) Um, I don't think we ever really, have we talked about why we chose that? I think it's just how things shook out. I think it's how things shook out, but I also think that this is a more exciting episode to come back with. It is. So happy new year. Um, Also, we hope everybody, whatever holiday you celebrate at the end of the calendar year, I hope it was a really great one. Um, And thank you for coming back to us despite two weeks of silence. I hope it wasn't too rough for you guys to go without us these couple weeks. It's good to see us, isn't it? (laughs) So yeah, we're back. Sentimental Men Part 2. This is still Season 1. Season 1 Part 2. And today, guys, today, you know already. (laughs) We could say this now since it's a safe space, just the two of us. I'm so nervous for this. I feel like everyone else has kind of been somebody who grew up with the show. And so we've been able to lean into that experience of like, you were a fan of the show. We were a fan of the show. You just happened to be in the show at some point. But today's guest was there from the start. So we can't really rely on our our fan shtick for this one. Sure, sure, sure. Not that it's a shtick. Not that it's a shtick, but we don't have that common ground with today's guest. Yes, I think we have the common ground of loving Wicked. I think we have the common ground of spilling the tea as well. (laughs) It feels like this guest is past it enough to talk openly about it, Mm -hmm. whereas I feel like maybe sometimes when you talk to newer alphabuds, they're a little more... They need to be more delicate about what they say and how they put it. Yeah, I think that's fair. Do you want to give the unnecessary hints as to who today's guest is? We haven't even (laughs) named her yet. All right. So the unnecessary hints, now that I'm aware that we are putting this in the, we put the guest names in the show title. You may know her from the off-Broadway production of Andrew Lippa's The Wild Party. Yeah. Do you think that's the superior wild party or do you think the other one? This would be- you know what? Save it. We'll do an episode about it. I was going to say Because <laughs> I think we have different answers, and so I would love to have that conversation. Knowing you and I, I know we have different answers, and yes. that can be a fun little bonus episode that we do. Okay, save it. But I also think it'll come out in this interview that we're about to do. I'm sure it will. Well, I like, bo- I like both. Okay. Off-Broadway's production of The Wild Party, Broadway's production of Lennon. Yes, Broadway debut. The first national tour of Wicked. Yes. In 2006, replaced Stephanie J. Block on tour. Mm-hmm. And then moved to Broadway with Wicked in 2007, replacing Anna Gasteyer. And mm-hmm. also, I feel like we should note, has done three Actors Fund benefit concerts that have all gone on to be pretty iconic. Oh, all iconic. Today's guest is the larger-than-life, the incomparable, the legendary. She is... A star, a statement, and a legend. She is Julia Murney. We are talking to goddamn Julia Murney today. I can't believe Quincy. I know. But yeah, so uh, so Julia Murney was in the Actors Fund concerts of Chess, Funny Girl, and Hair, Mm -hmm. which were all staples in my like some of my earliest years of like YouTube spirals were like those concerts because there were official recordings of them that were Mm -hmm. around, not just like you didn't have to rely on somebody to bootleg them. And have all gone on to be like, are still incredibly relevant today. Like I feel like we're all still talking about those YouTube videos. Yeah. Those three, the Dream Girls one, Mm -mm. that whole like series was such a fun, cool idea. And it's kind of like an all-stars cast of like, you know, these kind of like more niche shows, I feel like, because sure. the the hair concert was pre-revival. So it wasn't like as relevant in that year as it would have been a couple years oh, later. Oh, sure, 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 sure. Yeah. That, well, I mean, both performance videos, but the dress rehearsal video of her nobody's side from the chess concert. Oh, 
my god. At least once a month I'm revisiting that. Oh, all the time. I love chess. And I love that Julia has this kind of street credit because she has been in all of these like weird niche things. Mm -hmm. Um, Like she feels like a very cool guest because she, she does have this kind of like underground energy about her resume you know what i mean sure 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 sure, sure. has had a lot of interesting jobs i think a lot of interesting jobs most importantly and i would be ashamed of myself if i didn't include this in the narrative is that julia murney is the woman that smith almost ended up with on sex in the city which i don't know if you quincy are like on the other side of this age gap i'm a little bit on the other side okay Imagine this. It's Kim Cattrall. Mm-hmm. She's the, the blonde over sex. No, I like watch okay. episodes, okay. but I don't watch it. Okay, so it's Kim Cattrall, and she's at this like hot new restaurant, and there's this uber, uber, uber hot I The waiter. blonde over sex one, that was funny. Well, I don't know if you knew, because <laughs> there's two blonde ones. So I just went, well, I guess you would know who Sarah Jessica Parker is. Okay. So she's at this restaurant, there's this hot waiter, and every woman in the restaurant is like, I'm going to be the last woman here so that he'll go home with me at the end of the night. And it gets down to be Julia Murney and Kim Cattrall. They're both sitting there. They both look so hot because it's they're in that like mid 90s, like uh, or like late 90s, I guess. Yeah. We should post the clip. Oh, we will post the clip. The children need to know. Yeah. So we're talking to Julia Murney. <laughs> so long-winded. I'm sorry. That was great. Legend. I mean, I mean, just like truly a legend. This is this is big. Um, should we do an stuck on SJB before she gets here? Yeah. Do it. Okay. My stuck on SJB today, mm-hmm. I think it's 2012. I didn't check the dates, but it's Stephanie J. Block and Colin Donnell performing at the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade for Anything Goes. I just watched this recently. Really? Yeah, I think I was going to do this for a stuck on SJB. Okay, good thing I got so it. So I'm glad one of us is. One, I love it because it, they're not doing it like on the main grounds of the parade. It's like on, at the top of some building. Do you remember this? On, yeah, there's, there's I don't know if it's the Macy's... Is it the Macy's Parade or is it like the weird CBS thing that like Megan and Shoshana did? Oh. I think it's like Macy's Parade Light. Oh, I thought it was the Macy's But it doesn't Parade. take away from the greatness. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. One of those like holiday situations. Mm-hmm. And I think I love this video because of the like sentimental value it gives me because I remember being so excited that Stephanie J. Block was taking over, but also being stuck in Hawaii at the time as like a child, not a child, but like young. Right. So when I heard that she was performing, I was like, oh my God, I get to see like some performances, whatever. And it's like, as I was watching it, I was like, oh, I want to talk to Kevin about this because I think there's something about the way that Stephanie J. Block is as a performer, I think really suits that style of musical, that like classic, uh-huh. yeah, golden age, but not Rogers and Hammerstein kind of musical. Yeah, she has a voice that, I mean, she sounds great on contemporary material as well, obviously, but her voice has a timbre to it that that lends itself to that style, right? Yeah, and I was going to say, like, I don't think her belt necessarily is a contemporary musical theater belt in the way that... It's not. I mean, she has that voice. Like, she For sure. has access to it. But I, yeah, so it's like her main belt is not the same as, like, Shoshana's primary belt you know what i mean like they're both belters but have very different tones and timbres to their belt Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's very like it i don't know just watching it i was like this very much does harken back to like an ethel mermany style of performance oh yeah i can't wait till the day when uh stephanie j block plays dolly in hello Dolly. like she will she will be such a good dolly levi i thought you were gonna go with gypsy and i was gonna have to like have that conversation well that i think people would agree that Adina is is the alphabet you most want. Here's the thing. I'm not going to say that Adina is the alphabet that I most want to see as Mama Rose. I'm going to say that if we're going to get a gypsy revival in my lifetime, which we'll get four gypsy revivals <laughs> in Okay, in my, my tw- in my like late 20s, early 30s, if we're going to mm-hmm. get a gypsy revival, I would love for it to be Adina Menzel, and I think it can happen because she can sell it. Oh yeah, I mean she'll she would sell it. I agree with you. Stephanie's voice is like so yummy on a more classic material. Yeah, I don't know. I just really loved it. It was like it really she captures the essence of like that time in musical theater very well, I think. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's it's nice because it's her last couple of things have like accessed that contemporary belt more, but it's nice to watch them like that and be reminded that she is like also so good at that golden age style. Yeah. 
A real chameleon, that SJB. She is a real chameleon. Well, Julia Murney, thank you so much for joining us. I can't tell you how excited we are. We're super excited, yeah. I'm excited too. I want to begin this by addressing the fact that I have accosted you in public twice now. (laughs) Once was at the invited dress of Mac and Mabel, and another time was at, when I was working Broadway Con, I made sure that I took time to go to your Wild Party panel. Oh, that was just this past year. The Wild Party day, I woke up sick that day, and I, this is so irresponsible and, you know, lesson learned, but I was like, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'll just go. And by the time that was over, Joaquina, who was also mm-hmm. in that panel, had never been to BroadwayCon. And I told her I wanted to walk her around the um, the marketplace. And so I was doing that. And it's not like I get accosted or anything, but sometimes people just go, hey, or, or something. And I was saying hi to people. Sometimes people want to hug. I was hugging people and I did not yeah. feel good. Uh, it was before. I was like out of my body. Do you know that feeling where you're like, oh, I'm something's wrong with me now. Yeah. And I woke up the next day for two days. I had like the chills and the heats and the this and the that. Anyway, I hijacked your story. You came to the wild party. uh, Came to the wild party thing, pulled you aside after and was like, hi, can you just walk me through the beginning times of Wicked? (laughs) I need to establish a timeline of like who was around, what was happening. I remember. You you do? I do. You walked me through it. (laughs) It is worth pointing out that conversation started this podcast. Wait, that's so right. Really? And that conversation, I was out of body and having like a heat stroke. (laughs) So. Okay, now that we've got that out of the way. We start every interview normally to tell us when Wicked came into your life as a person, which up until this point, they've always been like, oh, I was a fan of the show and then I was in the show. But I'm Not really this excited. old lady. <laughs> so I'm excited to hear your story of how Wicked entered your life and spare no detail. It's a good story. Okay. So I, I had an audition one day in the, the mid to late 90s for a show called Snapshots. That was a Stephen Schwartz. It was really like Mamma Mia before Mamma Mia. It was all Stephen Schwartz existing music or trunk music put into a completely new book. It wasn't a review. It had a plot and things happened and songs like from Godspell and Baker's Wife. Oh, that's interesting. So I had this audition and I was so excited at the notion of maybe being able to get to meet Stephen Schwartz because Mm -hmm. I had gotten my equity card doing Godspell. So I I go in, I sing my song. Stephen Schwartz is there trying to remain calm. And he says, do you know Meadowlark? And I was like, well, yes, but nobody sings it. What are you, are you insane? And I said, I do, I don't have it. So Schwartz turns to the music director and goes, Andrew. And Andrew Lippa gets up from the table and goes to the piano without any sheet music and plays Meadowlark. And is this the wild party origin? And that is the day that he wrote on his little notepad, according to him, who is she, question mark, Queenie, question mark. I met those men the same day at the same audition. That is amazing. And then they changed your life. They changed my life. Big day. What a day. And I didn't know it was, I mean, I thought it was what a day because I met Stephen Schwartz. That was all. I was, right. I was like, done, check it. So then we did the show in Westport, the Westport Country Playhouse. And then we did it in Norfolk, Virginia at maybe it's called Virginia Stage. That's terrible of me that I don't know. Anyway. Um, while we were in Norfolk, Virginia, I, w- I was just walking around town and I walked into a bookstore one day and there in the new, to- new and notable table was this novel called Wicked. And I went bonkers for it. I loved it. It's very <laughs> sexy. It's very yeah. political in a way that I understand, you know, why. And there are also like the big change that they made is that in the novel, spoiler alert, everyone, in the <laughs> novel, the character of Elphaba is actually allergic to water. Well, I'll tell you a fine fact. Apparently, what I have understood is that nobody told Gregory that they had changed the ending until he saw like, a big reading of it. I went to opening night to support my friend Adina and Kristen. And when she popped out of the stage at the end, it was, I didn't know. It was oh, the only thing I could do to not go, no, no, she dies. Oh, you mother effers. You don't. Oh my God. So anyway, I told everybody about that book. Steven swears that he was told about it. I think he was on a boat somewhere. That's his story. Yeah. And I'm like, you want your percentage. Yeah, you just didn't pay attention. He's like, yeah, 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 Julia, whatever. <laughs> so I want to be completely clear. I love him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah, so Wicked came into my life as an entity back mm-hmm. then. 
at some point in the next years after the boat, when old boy started actually writing this musical, then I was in Wild Party. And then after Wild Party... So Wicked wasn't percolating during... Because Wild Party was 2001? No, it was 2000. 2000. And Wicked wasn't a thought in anyone's mind yet? It was a thought in Steven's mind. But you and Adina weren't developing it or anything? No, 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 no. Neither of us knew anything about it. Okay. So at some point, and I don't remember the time frame, they started doing readings of it because it was produced by Universal out in California. With our girl. With my girl, SJB. Uh, So somebody (laughs) did a Stephen Schwartz evening at the Duplex. And Stephen said to them, you can have a song from my brand new musical, but Julia Murney has to sing it. (sighs) And now this story has gotten crisscrossed and conflated when people are like, you were the first person to sing Defying Gravity. I'm like, no, no. In New York. I was probably the first person in New York. Right. Maybe the answer is I was the first person to sing it in New York in public. The Wicked fandom is Mm -hmm. intense. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. They are a rabid group. Yes. Mm-hmm. Woe to you if you are not their favorite witch. Mm. Luckily, you are our favorite witch. God bless <laughs> you. But, you know, they can be bitches mm-hmm. on the evil places that I like to call the glass palace of pain, known as the chat boards. <laughs> so then Wicked is coming in as like, okay, they're workshopping in LA. You sing it, Define Gravity at this... The duplex. It's a gay bar duplex. in the village. Imagine seeing Julia Murney sing Define Gravity at a gay bar. But you wouldn't... You At the time, you would have been like, I don't know what this is. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, why is this so high? God, this is right. so high. There should be a gay club now that just has Elphaba's come in and sing through the Wicked store. Do you really think there isn't one? I'm guessing there is. <laughs> we'll open up Sentimental Men, the bar. There you go. Yeah. There you go. In the after times. Because frankly, I'm shocked that there isn't one. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing gives me a bigger kick than when people call me and say they're at a club and a drag queen is doing me. I mean, that's subversive. Like, you got to really know your musical theater to do me. Correct. To do a Dina is one thing. She's a Dina. But, like, to do me, you got to know some. But that's like props. If someone's doing you, that's props. You got to do some dirty rice shit up in there. (laughs) Anyway, sorry. You had a question, Quincy. Yes. So, you sing it at the duplex. Were you like, I want to be involved with this? What were the next steps after that? In general, I'm not ambitious enough to go after things with like a sharpened tooth. Frankly, I admire that when I see to a certain degree, just the amount of like hustle that some people have. I do not have that hustle. And so I mean, I certainly was going to say yes to singing whatever some song that Stephen said. It could have been, you know, Mary Had a Little Lamb, but his version, (laughs) I would have done it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't recall being like, I'll sing this and then I'll play it. Uh I don't know. So what was your first touch point of going in for Wicked? It was for the big workshop. The pre-San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Kristen was already doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she was a friend of mine as well. And if there was an audition and then a callback, I don't remember the audition. I remember the callback. Walk us through it, Julia. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I was having a time. Having nothing to do with Wicked. I don't even remember what. But I was having a bit of a, of a breakdown. Got it. And I was sort of out of myself. In that audition. I remember very keenly doing this scene with Christy. Kate's? No, sorry. Kristen Chenoweth. Oh, got it. And I could see my reflection in the mirror in the rehearsal room that we were auditioning Uh in. And the little man on my shoulder had a megaphone that day. And he was Uh. like, look at you. Look how fat you look. You shouldn't even be in here. You haven't seen Kristen in a while. Is she still dating so-and-so? I wonder how, like, he wouldn't be quiet. Like, I think, I don't think I was embarrassing, (laughs) but I wasn't altogether. Was your heart kind of set on getting it or were you just like, well, it's a job? Neither. Neither. My heart is never set on getting it. I'm not confident enough for that. Okay. It certainly was not just a job. I wanted it, but let's remember, I was obsessed with that novel from Norfolk, Mm -hmm. Virginia on. I was like, this is special. I didn't think I got this in the bag. I did think it was going to be special. I definitely mourned it when I didn't get it. I was Mm -hmm. saddened. I'm not, I know people who are like, I cannot see that show because they were up for it and they didn't Uh, get it. Like I said, I was at opening night of Wicked. And frankly, end of act one, I was like, whoa, better her than me. Okay, that's a lie. (laughs) So then what was the audition process like for the tour when you were actually going to do it? I didn't audition for the tour. That was like they had the list of people who initially auditioned? I don't know how they do it, honestly. I did not get the original. When Adina was leaving... They asked me to come in and audition again. That's interesting. I was kind of like, oh my God. 
Because you didn't want to replace? No, no, just because I was like, just pick me or don't pick me. Yeah. Got don't it, make me go it. through this again. And I went in and did it. And here's another lesson that you learn along the way. Let me have learned it for you, children. <laughs> I was told she was the best actress we saw all day. She's just too mature. And I said to my agent at the time, just so we're crystal on this, I am never auditioning for Wicked again. Because <gasps> they know exactly who I am, exactly right. how old I am, which is what mature means to me. Okay. So I didn't get it. And that was that. It ended up being Shoshana, and then Eden, and then go, 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 go. I don't have this as fact, but this is what I think happened. Okay. I did this show on Broadway called Lennon that was a big yes. flop. We've heard of it. Bless its heart. It was, I loved it. I mean, it had problems, but anyway. I think it may have even been the night we closed. It was right when Hurricane Katrina had happened. And there was this huge benefit done for the victims of Katrina at the mm -hmm. Gershwin Theater. And I was in it and I sang a song by myself on the Wicked set. But that week after I sang that benefit, I got a phone call offering me the tour. I really wonder if it was a combination of they needed someone and I was suddenly available. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know if the producers were there that night, but I think they probably were. There I was. Oh, they we need to, see oh, it. that show just closed. Oh, wait a minute. Cut to, I then learned that what they meant, here's the problem with feedback. Here's the problem with she's the best actress we saw, but she's too mature, is that what they meant was the new Glinda at the time was sweet baby Megan Hilty. Right, Next to right Megan Hilty, I look like grandmama. But show, Shoshana, is more petite than I am. So she wouldn't like barrel over Megan. She was just a better physical fit. That's what they meant. But instead you're like, oh my God, I'm old. The information right. that came to me was something twisted because it's a game of telephone. So I couldn't quite figure out why they asked me to do the tour. So was it not an immediate, oh my God, yes? No, it was not. Because at that point, I was so intimidated by it. Mm -hmm. Sure. So I, w I was not chomping at the bit. I was not like, <gasps> yeah. I get to do it. I get to do it. I was like, ooh. But these women who've done it, I'd seen everyone who'd done it at that point. They were all friends of mine. And they were all right. baller. Interesting. And so, yeah, finally, we just came to some agreements that made it palatable. And mm -hmm. when they finally came back and they were like, okay, I had a moment of, oh, shit. Oh, no. Now I have to do it. And how was your time on tour? Because your tour bootlegs are my go-tos for Wicked. God bless. But those are only the boots where I'm in good voice. Let's. <laughs> I'm going to just lay it straight out. I got sick on tour and I was never really able to get better. I would get better, but then I would get sick again. And it's really frustrating when you can do it. Sure, there are plenty of nights where you finish The Wizard and I, and you want to be like, so do you want your money back in cash or a credit? How, how should we do it? Because yeah. I'm a disaster. And guess what? Sure. I have 87 more songs to sing. Great. Can't wait. Was it the hardest thing you had done up until that point? Yes. Even Queenie? Because Kevin and I were talking about it where we're like, is Queenie as difficult as Alphaba? Here's the difference. Number one is Queenie was written on me. Okay. So she lived in my bones and in my blood. Does that make it not challenging at all? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it brings you up to your limits and not somebody else's. Yes, very nice yeah. way to put it. There was just something about it. It just flowed out of me. Also, if you're comparing those two particular shows, Queenie is sort of like, if you were looking at an EKG, she's sort of like a level line and then she has these blips and then she's a level, because she's trying to remain cool yeah. in the midst of madness. Mm -hmm. Alphaba, from the second she hits the stage, is like, ah! She's like a, an EKG gone mad. She's screaming at monkeys and screaming for Fierro and screaming for her sister. And the screaming is what will take a bitch down. Yeah. Everyone has said because that. Because you think, I got this vocally. I know how to be healthy. I have training. I know how to warm up properly for this. What you are not ready for is let her go. And all yeah. of those things. Yeah. Because you don't want to sound like, let her go. Like you're yeah. in some weird head voice. But you also have to figure out how to do it eight times a week. We talked to Caroline Bowman oh, and she was comparing. My daughter. Do you know that she was. Oh, 
We talked about it. My girl. <laughs> but Caroline was comparing Evita to Alphaba, and you've also played Evita. Yeah, I want to hear what she said. So she said that Evita was easier because one, once you start, you're kind of like maintaining a consistent level of singing. It's not like off and on like Alphaba is. And that Evita, there's more colors you can play with in your voice, whereas Alphaba, or her Alphaba at least, she said, was very forward in her voice. 100%. Right. If she didn't steal that phrase right from me, then she's echoing exactly what I have said about the difference between Evita. And and frankly, the other element of Wicked is the stage door. And by which I mean the extra. Right. It's become much more of a thing, Mm -hmm. stage dooring, than I recall when I was younger, before Mm -hmm. you were born, Quincy. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just bring it up again. Um, (laughs) It's a thing now. And there were plenty of times, not on tour. Tour was different. When I was on the tour, we were still first hit in every city. Sure. Most cities, we were only there for two weeks. Got it. So it was packed to the rafters and people were like, it's here, it's here. And it was madness at the stage door because there was never really any security guy. There weren't like stanchions put up. It was just like a mob of humanity Mm -hmm. and you just made your way through. Especially in like COVID times thinking you're getting close to all these people. Oh, now I I don't know. I don't know if stage doors will still exist. When Laura Benanti was doing My Fair Lady, she very publicly was like, I'm not going to come out because I get sick easily and it's not safe for me. And people had so much to say about that. And she was being so good too and like signing playbills for people and sending it out. I very much remember coming out of the stage door once. I was exhausted. There was a huge crowd. Mm -hmm. So I said, hey, you guys, here's what I'm going to do. I've got a Sharpie. I'm going to sign everybody's as I go down the line. You can take all the pictures you want, but I can't pose for any pictures because that's one of the things that takes so long. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw this young boy go and roll (gasps) his eyes. And I held myself and I didn't say it, but I wanted to turn to him and say, do you know what? There's a back door at this theater. And I have never taken it. Yeah. Even when I have been so busted that I should stick my head in the sand. Even when you have come when I am busted, filmed me, and then put it on YouTube that night. This is not my job. I don't think anyone means it when they say it's not part of our job in a, like, you're lucky that I come out this door. That's not what it is. That's not. It's just the time commitment of it all. There's truly a time commitment. And there is, I didn't necessarily think that anyone wanted to meet me they wanted to meet Elphaba Mm -hmm. they weren't like Julia Murney I mean sure yes there were some people who were but Uh in general like the mom who's like shoving her kid in front of me or whatever she doesn't know my name she just knows I played Mm Elphaba and that's who they want to meet it felt like it was part of the job and I wanted to do that is there an upside to it where of course it's incredibly fun like when there are little ones yeah. Where the, the moms are like, go ahead, say hi. When you get letters, the letters are amazing. And sometimes the letters cross over, especially with a role like Alphaba. So sometimes I would get letters that were way beyond my, like, I'm like, oh. Like really unloading. Six pages, double-sided. And, you know, and then that's when I started cutting myself. And you're like, no, no, oh, no, no oh, no. no. I'm not the person. I don't know. I'm not that girl. <laughs> <laughs> I think you have to walk a, tre- a thin line Mm-hmm. between giving them support, but not opening a door called, and now I'm your new mother. Right. I'm not that either. I am an yeah. actor who learned notes. Wicked has a very particular bullseye for people who have ever felt like they weren't enough. Yeah. So can we talk about how you're doing your tour contract? How did Broadway happen? And what was that transition like? Was it an offer again? Uh-huh. Love that. Good, good, as it should be. So was that validating for you being like, okay, now I've done a contract and they just offered me Broadway, so I feel like I am good in this role? I mean, my own demons are so much more powerful than anything else. When I left tour, I was done. I wasn't, Kendra and I left together, Kendra Castlebaum, who was my Glinda. We left together and Shoshana and Megan replaced us. Oh, that's right. Yep. And I don't remember. We left in August Mm -hmm. and we... You were on Broadway in January. We went in in January. Mid-January, is that what you said? I think just January. I don't know when. Uh, well, Quincy, come on. Get on it. <laughs> Jesus, Quincy. So disappointing to me with your information. Speaking of, at the BroadwayCon panel, someone asked you a question about when you were on tour. And you were like, oh, God, what year was it? And I was like, 2006, Julia. And you were like, oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so somewhere, we finished in August. We started in January. 
So I'm going to guess like a month after I got home, we got home, we got offered Broadway. And you knew that it was like the two of you. And Sebastian, our Fierro from the road. Sebastian Arcelis. Right. So he stayed out on tour for a tiny bit. I'm not sure how long. So then the three of us went in together. So my contracts were always me, Kendra, Seb. That's interesting. Because that's not very common, I feel like, especially in the later years of no. Wicked, everything just gets shuffled. And- yeah. I think the last time they did that was when they brought Jackie Burns and Chandra Lee Schwartz to Broadway. Chandra. Was it an immediate yes to go to Broadway or was it you were apprehensive? No, Broadway, I, I wanted to do it. I mean, I was dead and I should have been in a hospital, but I still wanted to do it. It's Broadway. You know, I did it as best I could and when I could. Comparing the two contracts... Because we talked to Jackie Burns, who said that. Yeah, she she's done so, so many contracts of that show. <laughs> yeah, but Jackie was saying that, like, it took her until her, like, second Broadway contract where she was able to have fun with the role and, like, really settle in. What was your experience doing two contracts? Well, it was easier being on Broadway in that I was home. And it's tricky then also because when you're home, that's when you get asked to do all the Broadway Cares benefits or all the benefits or all the, mm-hmm. and the amount of things that I said yes to and then I had to bail on. And I don't like to do that. I don't. Right. But you have to at some point be like, the thing I'm getting paid for is my job. My job is to play Alphaba. So it is irresponsible, even though I called out last night to sing in this benefit tonight. And even all the press of being Broadway's new Alphaba. Honestly, that's a newer thing. That's a newer thing, yeah. Kevin, I just saw your nail polish, but I just want you to see, look, <gasps> pink goes good with green. Stop oh, it. My. I'm gonna take a screenshot of this. Hold your that's nails called, up. Oh, except you can't look at that nail because it's gross. <laughs> oh my goodness, look at us. I picked this color not because of Wicked, but because it's called Sweater Weather. Sweater Weather. Cute. Sweater Weather. Well, Julia, I just want you to know, you like really set a blueprint for what Alphaba is today and what Wicked is today. And I think your contribution to the history of Wicked is huge. Yeah. Thank you. On my good days, I would like to hope so. It would make me very proud to think that that was the case. So we've talked a lot about the history of Defying Gravity and how you kind of played a part in that. But then to come back into the show in the context of Wicked in its published form, what is the mountain of Defying Gravity like? So the song, you probably don't realize if you learn it off of the cast album before Mm -hmm. you see the show live, is quite lengthy. Because there are these scenes in the middle of it. I am now, after, you know, low these many years, I have to sing that song a lot. And obviously you don't do it with the scenes in the middle. So that's what my brain is used to now. But in terms of the actual show, that's not how it goes. And there are a lot of technical elements. Because first of all, what happens right before that? The wizard with the monkeys and the red. and You the... have no real power. Who says that? Alphabet. Oh, oh, the glimmery. You can't read this thing, can you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So one of the differences between tour and Broadway is that on Broadway, there are several entrances from below and those don't exist on the tour. On tour, you just walk off stage and then you wait for the music cue and you grab a sip of water and go back. On Broadway, (laughs) you're running to get down these stairs to then get down the stairs to come up the stairs. Define gravity as a song is not a hard sing until the last, what, 32 bars of the song. It's really not. <laughs> That's true. It's very lovely and yeah. floaty. and Well, it's because it's yeah. discovery. It's all discovering right. stuff from a very heightened but internal and fearful moment. And especially your Defying Gravity, I think, really turns it into an acting song where like you are really choosing acting beats. Well, and here's the truth of it, because I was too intimidated by the vocal. If I tried to concentrate on the vocal, I was going to freak myself out. Interesting. I was like, oh, right. But there's this other thing. So why don't you do that? (laughs) Make that choice. Not that your vocals weren't stellar, though. Well, bless you. But like from my point of view, (laughs) that song is pretty light and easy. Yeah. In terms of vocal production. Did you feel pressure having gone into it three years after it had been open on Broadway where like, okay, this is the moment? Mm -hmm. I mean, the one no-fly show I had, I remember feeling like afterwards, feeling like, oh God. (laughs) That's the big, that's the big money ticket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that didn't happen. Did you try to sell it vocally when you were doing a no-fly? No, you know what happened? It was like a week before I left. I was busted. I couldn't do anything. And as every once in a while, I would grab my cape and like move it around. And I kept thinking somewhere in the back of my brain, 
God damn it. I wish I was Shoshana. Shoshana could sing her way out of this. She could rip her way out. <laughs> I, I am not I Shoshana. Shoshana. I cannot rip my way out. Oh my God. Oh my God. Kendra was laughing. I could see her in the light on stage, right? Laughing at me. Just shaking her, yellow. Yeah, yeah. Into her shoulder. But yeah, I don't, you don't think about it inside the moment. So, you know, just the mechanics, which I'm sure you've had explained, of getting into the cherry picker. But like you have to get your cape over the whole arm of the the levitator and you've got to get your bag onto your butt, like onto your back. And you've got to lock yourself in and then it's on like a computer loop. You can't to the millisecond time how you get in there, how you get locked. Got it. It could be uh-huh. off by a millisecond for any random reason. Because of that, it's something about like the way it was described to me. I may not have this totally right, but like that it's like a circular loop and the computer has to know that you're locked in and then that circular loop has to get to the top. And once it's gotten to the top and it knows you're locked in, then it will go forward and start making its motions. But if you lock in like a millisecond after it's hit the top, it has to loop back around again. So sometimes oh. you don't start going exactly when you think you will. So that it's me is really like a fail safe for just like when you can go up. Somewhere in there, because there's, I do, I think there's three movements. There's a forward movement and then an up movement and then an even higher movement. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. I mean, it's happening s- relatively smoothly, but those are the three steps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I never found flying scary in any way. Were you present or did you just have too many things going on in your brain? Uh, I think I was present. I mean, I was present. This is going to sound so thespian, <laughs> but like I was present as Elphaba. You understand? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's an actress. I was present as her in yeah. what mm-hmm. that is. Can we also talk about... Your and I don't know if there's anything to this, but the way you do your whole and nobody and all of Oz, no wizard that there is or was, where you like take a gulp, where you're like and nobody, and then you like gulp as if you're scared, and I think it is brilliant. Because I think she's. Ter- it doesn't matter that she's like I said I'm going to do this thing, and now I'm doing this thing. Now she's doing this thing. Now she has to do it. Right, and she has to do it alone. When they finally say we'll give you everything you want, come do Wicked, then you're like, oh God, now I have to do Wicked. <laughs> You know, sort of that. But um, (laughs) no, that is what you're speaking about was definitely a choice that they let me. I mean, there there are choices that they sometimes let some of the women experiment with. And then they're like, and no, there are some things that they let women experiment with for one show. And they're like, and no. Is there anything you did that got nixed? Because Teal told us about a Fiero riff that she did in LA that got nixed. And I thought it was so interesting. Well, as the years went on, some of the riffing got ridiculous. In that, not ridiculous, that's not a nice word. Off the rails. It got out of hand. It became the focus. In that it wasn't storytelling. For my money, if we want to talk about riffing, you listen to Shoshana Bean because she Mm -hmm. will tell you a three-act effing play. It is all acting. It is based in something. I mean, when I was doing Wild Party, the staging of the song Life of the Party, I was sitting frozen on a chair right behind Adina for the majority of the number. She never did the number the same way twice. Interesting, because I wouldn't think of Adina necessarily as a riffer either. Well, she finds other pockets to play in that all stay in the right key. Like they don't sound like she's flown into another state. And I would just sit there and have to be like, don't move. Cause I want to be yes. like, you better sing that. You know, it just gets me so excited. And that to me, like Shoshana, the way that Shoshana riffs is storytelling. Yes. And uh, I know that there were times when I would miss shows and sometimes understudies would go on and there would be all of this sort of riffing and the woman who was the hair girl on the tour. Yeah. Her name is Lisa Thomas, hair supervisor of Wicked. Love that. And sometimes she would call me when I was out <laughs> during the show. She'd be like, you need to listen to this. And she would put the phone up <laughs> and I would hear this. I mean, it was good, but it was crazy. And then yeah. she would get back on the phone. She'd be like, you need to get back to work. Hang on. I love Lisa. Should we get her on the pod? <laughs> Bonus episode. She's amazing. She sounds amazing. Lisa Thomas, hair supervisor of Wicked. You need to get back to work. <laughs> Click. And even when we left the tour, when Sean and Megan came in, Sebastian didn't know them. And I was like, all of the ladies are going to have to calm down on the riffing because the queen is coming to town. Yeah. And before we left, there was some like piano bar night and Shoshana sang Aretha Franklin or Whitney Houston sure. or some someone amazing. 
And Sebastian looked at me totally open-jawed. And I was like, did you think I was lying? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I'm telling you the queen is coming to town, the queen is coming to town. But your scoops in Defying Gravity, they were fine with. I love it. Me too. Yeah, and that was preservation. It was easier for me to go, to scoop. is ever gonna bring me. It was much easier to go, ever gonna bring me. Yeah. Quint and I were talking the other day about how this show is one of the most documented. Like there's so much like first-hand like primary source material because everybody films this show. There's a million casts. There's a, infinite combinations of this alphabet, this Glinda, and it's like it's nice for us that we have like access to this, but it's got to be terrible for the rest of you. It's got to be shitty for you, but I appreciate it as a fan to have this history. Here's my philosophy on the bootlegs. I cannot stop them. Mm -hmm. They will never be stopped. Hence, two things. First of all, your generation <laughs> seems to believe that just because you press record, you must press share. Upload. Yeah. You don't have to. I record every Broadway show I see, and it's just for me. If it's for you, that's one thing. I'm talking about YouTube. Look, have some compassion. Yeah. Also, have some compassion for the fact that Maybe you didn't even notice it live. You're presenting a snippet of something that is meant as part of a whole thing that is part of a different experience that happens live that doesn't happen when you're just dealing with an audio clip. Because you don't notice anything live, realistically. Unless it's like a major snafu, you don't notice the little like Oh, things. you mean as a listener, Quincy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, but my other thing about bootlegs, beyond you don't have to share everything you record. Look, Quincy... If Kevin comes over and you're like, I have to play you something, that's yeah. fine. It's like you've hung out with us before. <laughs> but also, like, you can be a bitch in your own living room. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Yeah. But the big thing about the bootlegs for me is if you're going to do it, you cannot let me see you. If I see you, I don't like you. Because what you have now done is distract me from my job. And people think they are so slick and they are not. It's like they have like giant oldie tiny rotary cameras in the front row. Well, that's like when I watch the bootlegs from like now, it's like, okay, sure. Like you put your iPhone like this and nobody sees you. But I'm like in 2004. The fact that there's an original cast bootleg, I'm like, what were you taking this on? But it's, that's yeah. the thing. To me, that's the challenge I put to you as bootleggers because <laughs> we can see a lot. And do you like having a record? Because I've had actors and actresses reach out and ask for bootlegs of shows that they were in. Uh, yeah. I mean, my career in musical theater is basically the Wild Party original cast album and bootlegs, if you really think about it. That's mm. really interesting. I'm on a care. lot of cast albums. I have a solo album. Yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. All of that exists. Yeah. yeah. But... Chess with Josh Groban was one night only and has a beautiful right. bootleg. Funny Girl, when I sang People, was one night only and there's a wonderful bootleg. Children of Eden, one night only, bootleg. Wicked bootlegs for days. So I am not dismissive of what that has meant in terms of anyone like knowing or giving a good goddamn who I am. Mm -hmm. It's just that in the moment, if you're doing it, and I see you, then I am starting to think about, am I okay tonight? How tricky do I sound? This is gonna right. be on YouTube by midnight. Like things that I don't, I shouldn't be thinking about. I should yeah. be telling you a story. Right. And that's what you should be interested in too. Or are you just, because you've seen this 57 times, interested in getting, you know, this. Tonight. And I get it. I, I understand that people have hobbies. Mm -hmm. I know there are people who are probably like, Annalie Ashford went on with me as Glinda several times. Do any of those exist? I have no idea. I'm yeah. sure there's someone who... Who has it. Yeah. And that's their hobby. And again, as long as you're not hurting anybody or being hurtful, and it's more of a like a baseball card collecting thing that you just want to share among or people. Or it comes from a place of love, I think, and admiration. Right. And like I said, if you want to be a bitch in your living room, Go ahead. Keep it to the living room, guys. Come on now. It's like, who are any of us if we're judged on our worst day? And my response to that is always, you do it. Right. Okay. So to close out, we actually usually start with this question, but we, our conversation was flowing so good that we it just kind so of forgot good. to ask. Flow! Quincy and I have kind of a, a half-baked fan theory that any alphaba uh, is most comfortable in one of the three big songs. Uh -huh. um, and now after having talked about Defying Gravity, um, I will be curious now to ask you, were you most at home in any of those three? With prior context of in our pilot episode, Kevin and I played this game and we pulled your name from a bowl of Broadway alphabas. <laughs> 
and we disagreed on which was like your song. We had the same reason for picking which was your song, but they were different songs. So you're gonna tell me after I tell you? We'll tell you after, yeah. Hands down, no good deed. I was right. (laughs) (laughs) So wait, I have several questions. Yeah. Kevin, what was your vote? I said The Wizard and I. God, no. (laughs) (laughs) But our reasoning, Julia, was the same. And it ultimately boils down to you are an alphabet who acts also, because I think, I think it's easy to just make sure that you are hitting all the notes, like the vocal notes as alphabet and not pay as much attention to the acting of it all. Mm-hmm. And I think you really make acting a priority in your performance as alphabet. And I thought that it shone through in No Good Deed and Kevin also thought that it shone through in The Wizard and I. Yeah. That's so interesting. Because when Kevin was giving me his argument, I was like, it makes sense. Because he was like, The Wizard and I is a song for an actress because it's the longest song. You have the most to like work through. You're like telling a story in The Wizard and I. And I kind of feel the same for No Good Deed where it's like, that's where you really let loose acting wise. Mm -hmm. Of the three biggies, I also have a very soft spot in my heart for I'm Not That Girl. Of course. Because we get to relax a little bit because it's on my solo album currently available on iTunes. For me, yes, Wizard and I has so much information that you're imparting. The wizard voice. My wizard voice, which, you know, very famous. But it's also, it's the, what have you actually got tonight song, vocally. Mm -hmm. And that's always a little tricky. Again, that's a song that you can maneuver pretty lightly until you get to with me until the end. And then you are balls out. Good luck to you. See you on the other side. Because you could yeah. almost talk sing the beginning if you needed yeah. to. No good deed. Not only is she deciding to just say, you know what? Fuck all y'all. I'm wicked. Mm-hmm. Sure. She's also a woman. She has just had some sort of forest sex with the hottie in the white <laughs> pants. <laughs> Whatever that was. It's never quite clear what it is. And she is grown when mm-hmm. she hits no good deed. Like any of the stuff that you've talked about, and I appreciate your noticing it, of me choosing like the, the part of fear and the part of a, a no good deed, ain't got, she's got sorrow, but she has no fear anymore. She has grief, she has loss, but she does not have fear, which is what gives her the kind of cojones to go forth. Right. We can also add in like halfway through no good deed and you're like, great, we're almost done. It's a victory lap. It's almost done. I'm glad I was right. Yeah. (laughs) And now it's funny because I didn't, after I left the show, I would not sing Defying Gravity. Really? Like I had such PTSD about it. Yeah, yeah. And I started doing symphony concerts and I would do Wizard and I. And I did a few concerts that way. And then I had a symphony concert and they insisted on Defying Gravity. And so I like basically took, Define gravity to lunch. And I was like, hello, we need to be friends. And what I realized was that the general layperson, A, doesn't give a damn what song is better out of context. Nobody cares. Right. Define gravity is the f- super famous song from the show. And people who are asking for it are people who have seen the show and they want to be taken back to the moment when they mm-hmm. sat in the audience. And that girl went up in the air while screaming her tits off. Because it's really rather simple theatrical stage work. It's not like complicated, the, yeah, right. the, the mechanics of it. Especially in like 2020 to look at Yes, but it's so effective. It's good. And it's the marriage of what Joe Mantello figured out with what the, all the designers figured out with what Stephen wrote. You know, all of it. It's the marriage of all of it. That's what they want. They want to be taken back to that moment. So Julia, where can people find you online? Usually sitting on my couch. Oh, not when I'm <laughs> online. I'm sorry. I am me. I'm ju- at Julia Murney on Twitter. And gotcha. I am at Peppa Mama, P-E-P-A-M-A-M-A on Instagram. And what's the origin of the Instagram name for people who are confused? She's my little, my little dog. My little dog, too. Her name is Pepper. <laughs> and uh, I was on Instagram first. And I thought, oh, I'll just be anonymous. And, right. and that way only my friends will know. And then... That changed, but now it's Peppa. Now I don't want to change. No, it's cute. Yeah, yeah. This has been so incredible, Julia. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, you guys. It was so nice to talk to you. (laughs) Thanks, guys. All right. right. Thank you. Bye, Julia. Thanks so much. Kevin. Quincy. 
I just feel like we need to take a breath after that. I mean, I don't think I exhaled once in the two hours we just spent talking to Miss Murney. She talks about how after the first round of auditions for the workshop that then led up to the San Francisco production, when that casting decision was made, that was kind of like the birth of this like alphabet sisterhood that we keep hearing about because the mentality was not like, oh, I didn't get it, that sucks. It was like, this is going to be hard and we, the four of us who didn't get it need to support the one of us who did. Mm -hmm. And I thought that it's so interesting that like that bond that we hear about over and over now started because the four women who were there at the beginning were friends already. Yeah. I thought it was so cool. I guess I never it never clicked. I knew that her and Kendra went to Broadway, but the fact that like the trio of her, Kendra, and Sebastian all moved from tour to Broadway. I always forget that Fierro's like a principal character in this show. <laughs> Can we talk about the fact that Julia Murney is the reason why Wicked exists on this planet? Yeah, okay. Had you known that before we did this episode? Because I dropped it on you as we were prepping. I didn't know that she... So my understanding of the origin of Wicked was the fame or I guess infamous story of like Stephen Schwartz was on vacation and somebody was reading it and he got this great idea. But I I really do believe Julia when she says, I was working on this show with Stephen Schwartz. I bought this book. I told him about this book. I believe it too. And I believe that Julia Murney deserves a percentage of the wicked If revenue. not the royalties, she deserves the credit. You know what I mean? Yeah. If she's not going to get the cash, she might as well get the credit. <laughs> Can't believe- you know what I mean? Or like... Yeah. It's just insane. Yeah. Quincy, you know what else I love to... It kind of like came up organically a couple different times was Julia said so much to us about like the stage door culture and the bootleg culture Mm. of Wicked, which was really refreshing to me because it's like, obviously that's like, we are not precious about that. We don't hide the fact that we are like bootleg queens. We're watching them all. But to hear her kind of get it. You know what I mean? Like she was like, I get why people do it. Well, and also that like, she was like, what would my career be without bootlegs? You yeah. Know? Which I don't, I'm going to be honest and say that I don't think enough actors give credit to that. And it's even like, think of how many women there are who we're obsessed with, who were like replacement alphabas or standbys or understudies or, or what have you. And not even alphabet, any, any role in the canon Yeah, who we're obsessed with. But it's like, we're not obsessed with them because of the cast recording or the Tony Awards or... I rarely listen to cast recordings. Yeah, it's so it's just, I think bootlegs are like, I get the the issues that people take with them, Mm -hmm. but it's like, that's your calling card. Unless you're originating a role, there's no record. Yeah, I agree. Exactly. I mean, even the fact that like, you know, we talk about how Alphaba is kind of like a launching pad now for these actresses. A lot of that is in part to the bootlegs that come out of the, if you just went into Wicked and only the people who saw it live saw your performance, it would not be the platform, I think, that it is today. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I get the, and I also think she made a good point where she was like, if you listen to it and you're like, this is bad, don't upload it being like Adina Menzel's worst yes. defined gravity, you know, like yeah. keep it to yourself. Well, and it's like Julia was saying is it's like, when you see Wicked, you have this like visceral experience seeing it. And so it's like, everybody wants to get back into that. And for some people that's like, I just want to hear an elf of a sing defying gravity at the symphony concert and to other people it's like i want to be able to remember what jackie burns sounded like mm-hmm. the day that i saw her in detroit you know what i mean like that's true it's like buying the souvenir program yeah um kevin yeah quincy i feel like i haven't done this in a while i think it's time <laughs> for kevin's glinda corner Woo! oh it's good to be back Um, Okay, so for today's Glinda Corner, also we are saying Glinda's Corner now. Vocally speaking, there is not too, too much to talk about that Glinda does on her own. I mean, it is like a very important section for her just because she's not getting in a cherry picker and like singing in a full chest voice. Like she also undergoes as equal a transformation as Alphaba does. Are you going to make that argument, Kevin? What? We're going to do that. What? I would love to hear how you're going to argue that Glinda goes through more of a transformation. Than I did not say, no, song. you are hearing what you want to hear right now. What? You just you said are, that. You are hearing me say that. No, I said they, she goes through an equal. Okay. 
I will revise my statement to make you happy. Galinda makes as difficult a decision in this song as Alphaba makes. Okay. I will not be told otherwise, Quincy. Like, she, they are choosing to part ways. They are both saying, like, I love you, you are my best friend, but we're gonna, we're splitting right now. That's hard. But... But then she doesn't have to get in a cherry picker and belt a Z right after it. But not even from a technical standpoint. I think from, like, a character standpoint... Glinda makes the easy spineless decision and Alphaba makes the morally correct hard decision. Okay, I don't know what... Just because it's the quote-unquote bad decision within the context of the show doesn't mean that it was not difficult for her to make. You're not going to win this with me, Quincy. She's just going with what has already been set straight After for her. being presented the option to do something else. To do something much harder and more defiant, she goes, no, actually, I'm not going to do that. Because she knows it's not for her. She knows it is Elphaba's moment. It's interesting how biased you are towards Glinda. I'm biased? You literally just called her spineless. Because <laughs> it's spineless. You think it's spineless. I think it's heartbreaking. She goes, I know this is all a sham, but I'm going to stick with it. So you, peace and love to you. I'm going to stick with it because I, Glinda Upland of the Upper Uplands with my prissy ass upbringing, know that I do not have what it takes to do what you have to do. Someone has to do this to the wizard. It's, it has to be you. Do you not think less of- Quincy, this isn't even my point on the Glinda's Corner. Continue, continue. My God. So what I wanted to say was that this song is the last time that Elva and Glinda sing together until for good. They do not sing together in act two. Oh. And so, yeah. Oh, imagine that. Kevin knows what he, remember four episodes ago when you were like, Kevin, you're so smart. You always say things that make me think of no, the show. Anyway, so this is the last time that they sing together until for good. And I would just like to set up something that I will talk about later in the for good episode is that the last thing they sing together is, I hope you're happy in the end. I hope you're happy, my friend. Glinda on the top harmony, Alphaba on the bottom har- harmony, which you're like, okay, like that makes sense, like soprano alto or soprano mezzo. And that starts with the very first time they sing together, does it have a name? Yes. They sing in unison, right? And then Glinda, in wh- the way I would choose to believe it, is she's like, oh, I am not singing the same note as this girl. And then she goes up and she stays up for the whole act. And then I hope you're happy in the end. Okay, same thing. Glinda's up, Alphaba's down. I hope you're happy, my friend. Same note. So they are coming back together. You know what, Kevin? Yeah, tell me what, Quincy. <laughs> tell me what. You know, we just talked about how I used, used to say that. <laughs> back in the honeymoon. You were so smart. You have a BFA. I'm so happy I'm doing this podcast with you. And listen, you just gave me another one of those moments. Well, so kudos to you. Thank you, Quincy. Um, so yeah, so that's the last time that Alphaba and Glinda sing together. And then the only other thing that she sings for the rest of the act is, I hope you're happy. To me, it's like a moment of sincerity because it's like, you just talked about how it's like her decision could be perceived as like the wrong decision, but then it's like, it's just like a little sprinkle of like, don't forget she still cares about Alphaba where she is like yelling after her as she flies out the window. She's like, I really mean it. I hope you're happy. That's true, because I guess I don't really think of Defying Gravity as like Alphaba is flying on a broom, like in motion, because yeah. it looks like she's well, it's just like standing that's there. Why the movie's never going to get made? Because how do you do For that? Sure. <laughs> that's why I'm like, we don't need a movie, guys. Just film it on Broadway and do it. Kevin, that was a great Glinda's Corner. Thank you. <laughs> guys, this was a. I'm on a high. I'm on a high. I got to go take a shower, eat dinner. I know. Maybe I'll reorganize my whole kitchen right now. I I could conquer the world. That was so fun. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, we will see you next week. Yeah. Happy New Year, guys. Happy 2021. May it be better for all of us. Yes. May we all sit in a theater this year and experience a show with somebody we care about. That's my wish for all of us. That we all get to see Lindsay Heather Pierce as Alphaba. Quincy, I'm just putting it back out there now because we said it back in October in the first episode. Mm-hmm. We are going to see. See, my thing is, Kevin, I know that I am going to see Wicked the first night back. I tend to think you're going to have 
obligations to see a show with someone else that night. That's just kind of what I see happening. Me? Yeah. Where else would I go? What other show would be my first show back? No, I think you're going to be like, oh, I'm actually going to like go with these people to see Wicked. And I'll be like, okay, cool. I think you think I have more friends than I do. <laughs> the funny thing is like we're each other's only friends. You're the only friend I've ever had. <laughs> Anyways, I guess we'll both go to see Wicked on the first night it's back. Separately. Let me know where you're sitting. Maybe we can wave to each other at intermission. Yeah, 2021. I feel good about I it. I feel good about it. It'll be December 10th, 2021, but we'll be back in a theater this year. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> You've been listening to Sentimental Men. This episode was produced, edited, and hosted by Quincy Brown and Kevin Bianchi. Thanks to Julia DeMarzo for our thrillifying artwork. And thanks to you for tuning in. You can reach us at sentimentalmenpod at gmail.com. Or on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at sentmenpod. That's S-E-N-T-M-E-N-P-O-D. Till next time, I'm Quincy. And I'm Kevin. This is mostly shtick, I want you to know. I know. Okay. But the shtick is killing me. (laughs) 